please turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're continuing to, to look at this section of, of Scripture. We're going through an overview of first and if you're uh, new to our church, we're going through an overview of First and Second Samuel this year. And what we've been trying to do last week and this week is take Second Samuel chapter 7, where God makes this covenant with David, and help us understand how this fits in the overall story of Samuel and really the overall story of the uh, story of God's redemption. So we're here in Second Samuel chapter 7 and began looking at that covenant last week, and we're going to continue uh, to look at that this week, uh, to look at it this week as well. We'll be kind of turning around to several different places in our Bibles. You might stick your finger in Isaiah because we'll be in there several several times this morning looking at some, some passages there. And I uh, hope this is encouraging for you as we, we spend time in God's Word together. But we're going to read the last half of Second Samuel chapter 7 this morning, and I'm really not going to get to the content of uh, these last, uh, this last half of 2 Samuel 7 until more towards the end of the message, but we'll, we'll kind of go through that as we, as we begin the message here in just a, a minute. But if you would, uh, stand with me if you're able to, in honor of God, as we read uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. So God has just made this promise to David, and now David responds to what God has told him in verse 18. Then King, King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant Know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, to be his people, making himself a name, and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word this morning as we hear it and love it and obey it. Heavenly Father, we do look at these verses here and, and see that you save people. That it's your work that, that brings us about. 
and that as you save people, it brings glory to your name. And so, Father, as we think about the covenant you make with David here and how David responds in worship, we pray that we would also respond in worship. And we pray as we see this covenant played out in history, as you save not just one person or one people, but all the nations through your son Jesus, we, we pray that we would glorify your name all the more. And as, as we think about all the different circumstances in our world, we pray that those would, would bring about the further glory of your name. And we think of the, the, the disasters that are going on throughout the world. We think of the, the earthquake in Morocco this, this weekend, and we pray that uh, you would be with the people there. We, we pray that even in this, uh, your name would be glorified as, as people turn to you and in their grief and in their, their searching, we, we pray that you would uh, work within our, uh, our government and elected officials to, to have wisdom and uh, to, to bring uh, good things about the people in this world and that the gospel would, would go forth as a result of, of all things as we know it will for your glory. We pray uh, for your hand of peace on, on the nations and we pray this in the name of your son Jesus, amen. Well, we, we sang this morning the song that we talked about last week, uh, He Will Hold Me Fast, by the Gettys. Uh, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he, what, must hold me fast. And we talked about why that is, why God must hold us fast. And I, I told you that I believe that understanding the covenants that God makes with people helps us understand why we are secure in Him. And we talked about last week, it is, it's crucial for us to know on a moment-by-moment -moment basis that God loves us, and that we are secure in that love, and that he not only will hold us fast, but he, he must hold us fast. Based upon his character, who he is as God, he must hold us fast. He stops being faithful to his covenant. He stops being God because faithfulness is an essential attribute of who he is as God. I want to give a quick review from what we talked about Last week, remember the main idea was this, you are eternally secure in Christ because God keeps his covenant to David with steadfast love. You are eternally secure in Christ because God keeps his covenant to David in steadfast love. And then we talked about, uh, we began talking about David and his covenant with God. That was the, the thing we began talking about last week. And we talked about uh, what, what is a covenant? Uh, Schreiner defined a covenant as a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. And we, we talked through some of the major covenants. Remember we talked about a covenant is not a contract, it's a relationship. I have a contract with my cell phone company. I have a, a covenant with my wife. I have a, a covenant relationship with Christ's church. I have a contract with my bank or credit card company. A covenant is about relationship. We talked about the, the major covenants that we see in Scripture. Stephen Wellham writes this. He says, the Bible presents uh, a, a progression of covenants. 
that reveal God's one redemptive plan for his people, which reaches its fulfillment in Christ and the new covenant. Each biblical covenant contributes to God's unified plan of redemption. By the progression of the covenants, we come to know God's plan, how all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ, and how we are to live as God's new covenant people. And then if you remember, we looked at at 2 Samuel 7 in the first half of chapter 7. Remember, David says, I want to build God a house. And God says, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And he tells David about this this covenant that he's going to make with him. He says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make my people secure. And I'm going to make an everlasting kingdom and provide an everlasting king for that kingdom. That's what we looked at last week. We talked about how the subsequent kings after David don't walk in obedience to God the way they were supposed to, and yet there's still hope that the people have that God's going to keep his covenant. And why is that? Because of his, his the, the, the Hebrew word is hesed, steadfast love. It's that steadfast love that compels God to make a covenant. It's that steadfast love of God that compels him to, to keep that covenant. Psalm 89, verse 28, my steadfast love I will keep for him forever. My covenant will stand firm for him. Now, that was what we talked about last week. Now, maybe you noticed a little bit of a flaw in my my logic, my sermon logic last week, okay? I kind of gave three-ish points, okay? Kind of one, two, and three. And really, I was giving five points. I just skipped points three and four last week. But maybe, maybe you noticed what I had done wrong in, in terms of the fullness of the, the logical progression. What I said is uh, God must keep his covenants, right? That's, that was kind of point one, God, the, the, kind of the first point of my logical progression. God must keep his covenants. He, he stops being faithful to his covenants. He, he stops being God. That was kind of that's step one. Step two, God made a covenant with David. And then I said, kind of step five, therefore, we can be secure that God will hold us fast. Okay, so God must keep covenants. He must stay faithful to his covenants. He made a covenant with David, therefore we're secure. Now, maybe you said, well, hold on, Uh, there's there's some points missing there, Daniel, and you would have been right if you'd said that, right? The, the third kind of step, progression, is not only does God, must God keep his covenants, he made a covenant with David. Three, Christ fulfills that covenant. He's the, the recipient of that covenant, fulfills that covenant. Step four, we are connected to that covenant because of our union with Christ. Then, therefore, we're secure in Christ, and he must hold us fast. God will hold us fast. So what we're going to do is spend some time kind of on that, that third and fourth point and kind of flush that out. How do we know that Christ fulfills the Davidic covenant? And then how do we know that we are in Christ and also recipients of the blessing of the Davidic covenant? We're going to kind of walk through some of those steps together this morning, again, helping us see on a moment-by-moment basis we are loved by God and eternally secure in Christ. So, we want to know that we're connected 
to the covenant promises of Abraham and David. These, these promises that God makes to David are incredible. How do we know that we are the recipients of those blessings? Maybe, uh, maybe you're like me, and whenever you were a kid, you would get that letter in the mail from Publisher's Clearinghouse. And it would say something like, you have won a million dollars, right? You take it to your parents. and Hey, we have won a million dollars. And they would say, no, we haven't. I said, no, I, I'm pretty sure we have. This seems airtight. <laughs> There's a check in here. Let me show you the check. No, no, Daniel, that's, that's not legit. I don't know. I'm going to go buy these CDs from Columbia. <laughs> I've got a million dollars. <laughs> and then they show you the fine print. Oh, okay, I, I guess we have one. I, I went online to see if Publishers Clearinghouse still exists. And like the, I t- you know, Googled it, and the first thing that came up was, you know, uh, do you need money, Columbia, you know, or uh, uh, Publishers Clearinghouse? Click here. I'm like, oh, so tempting, but I didn't. <laughs> Still, win a huge $15 million prize. Don't miss this. Ah. But it's not legit. This covenant, it, it seems so amazing. It, it seems so phenomenal. How, is it too good to be true? Well, it's not. We are connected to it. Let's walk through this. Here's the next thing I want to talk about. Christ and his fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. That's the next thing we're talking about. We've, so we've talked about David and this, this covenant that God makes with him. God must keep his covenants. Now we're talking about this, this next step, Christ and how he fulfills the, the, Davidic, the, the Davidic covenant. Let's walk through a, a couple of, of, of biblical truths that help us here. Number one, Christ is the promised offspring of Abraham and David. Okay, How do we know that Christ fulfills the Davidic covenant? covenant? Well, one, he's the promised offspring of Abraham and David. So if, you're, if you've turned to Isaiah, we'll just look at Isaiah 11. If you look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses kind of 1 through 5, we'll just maybe just talk about verse 1 primarily here, but it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's David's father. So this is a a descendant of David, a, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the, the, verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall, be, shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So, so there's this, this coming descendant, and it's Christ, it's this Messiah. How do we know that? Well, Gabriel tells Mary in Luke chapter 1, God will give to him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, doesn't that make, as, as you understand 2 Samuel chapter 7, and the promise that God makes to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, doesn't that make what happens in Luke chapter 1 all the more beautiful? Don't you understand that, that so much more deeply? In verse 68, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, says this. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us, listen to this, in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham, to grant us. So 
Zacharias, he's talking about Jesus, says, okay, that the things that God promised to Abraham and to David throughout all the, the, the prophets of old, this is it. This is him. This is the promised descendant. Says Zechariah goes on, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's one. A second thing we see, a second biblical truth that helps us understand this, number two, Christ obeys God perfectly and he bears the penalty of the sin of the people. Now, this isn't just some New Testament idea, although, of course, it's very clear in the New Testament, but as we we look at the Old Testament, we we see this, this prophesied. Again, if you're keeping your finger there in Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, verse 11, listen to what Isaiah prophesies. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, Isaiah 53, 11, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He'll he'll take them on himself. Verse 12, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So remember, we we talked about last week Here's David, and here's this promise that God makes to David about his offspring and how he'll have an offspring that's faithful and serves him. And, and all of the offspring of David that we encounter throughout First and Second Kings and, and Second Chronicles, they all fail. And yet now, now we encounter this, this coming servant that the prophet Isaiah tells us about who's going to obey God perfectly and bring about righteousness for many as he takes upon them their sins, as he takes upon himself their sins. Number three, then, Christ reigns eternally, then, as the Davidic king. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. There's there's so many passages in Scripture I wanted to go to, but stick mainly here in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. Here's what, here's what we read in verse 6. This isn't just a passage we meditate on at Christmas, is it, right? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So here's this, this coming offspring of Abraham and David. It's Christ, and, and he, he obeys God perfectly. He takes upon himself the, the penalty of the sin of the people, the many people, not just Israel, but, but the nations. And then he reigns eternally as the Davidic king. Number four, then, this Christ, this Messiah, fulfills all of God's promises. The Old Covenant, of 
course, pointed to Christ. John chapter 5, Jesus says, you, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it, it's they that bear witness about me. That's verse 39. Then he says in verse 46 of John chapter 5, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. He fulfills the law, Christ does, and he fulfills all the covenants, and he brings the old covenant to a close. Romans chapter 10, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Then he goes on. We go on to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. He says, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as, listen to this, Christ's ministry that he's obtained is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant that he mediates is better. So this, this new covenant that Christ has inaugurated is better than the old covenant because it is enacted on better promises. If that first covenant, he's talking about the old covenant that includes this this covenant with Moses and Abraham and David. He says if, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So he says, okay, we have this, this old covenant. In the book of Hebrews, he talks about how this, this old covenant is a, a shadow. It, it points to this new, better covenant that comes in Christ. It's enacted on better promises. And then he goes on in verse 13 of Hebrews 8. He says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Christ is the fulfillment of, of all of God's promises. And all of God's promises and his blessings in the Old Covenant, point to him and find their fulfillment in, in him. Now, th- some would argue that there are, are two people of God still. They say you have the, the church and you have Israel. And I, I taught that probably 20 years ago. And, and they would say, well, there, and because you have the two people of God, there are still some promises that remain just for ethnic Israel separate from the church. Now, I believe that God still has a plan for ethnic Israel, but I don't believe that those promises are going to be fulfilled apart from the church and in Christ. I believe ethnic Israel is going to be, be saved in the future, and there are all sorts of, based on Romans 11, and all sorts of things that she's going to experience, these, these blessings but I don't believe that's going to take place apart from the church. And there's, there's two reasons, and the second I'll get to later. But the, the first is just this. We, we need to get the story of redemption right, okay? The ethnic nation of Israel in the Old Covenant is a, is a shadow. It's, it's a type. 
And it, it points to the new people of God, the fulfillment of the people of God in, in Christ. And so you don't, you don't have this, this storyline where you have this shadow, and then you have Christ, and then you go back to the shadow. The story of redemption is from the, the shadow to, to Christ, and the people of, of ethnic Israel receive the blessings in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, here, here's what I want us to be thinking about as we, we think about this, this point in the progression of, of, of our argument here. So, God must keep his covenants because of his steadfast love. He made a covenant to David, and Christ is a fulfillment of that covenant that he made with David. Here's what I want us to be thinking about as, as we come to the end of this point. There's nothing greater in this universe than for you to be united with Christ and, and to somehow participate in that kingdom. There, there's nothing more important to you in your existence than, than to figure out, okay, if, if, if Christ is the fulfillment of this promise that was made to Abraham and, and David, part of this, 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 this uh, plan of eternal redemption, if, if Christ is the fulfillment of that, there's nothing more important to me in the universe than figuring out how do, I, how do I become a part of that. Christ's kingdom is supreme. All other kingdoms are coming to an end. And so often when we talk about different kingdoms coming to an end, instead of rejoicing in that, we, we feel a sense of dread. Uh, last week, I mentioned that I was uh, training for a marathon that, that happened yesterday, and some of you were very kind and said, I'm praying for it. It's a silly thing, but it's something I was looking forward to. I was able to do it yesterday, and as I was, as I was running yesterday, I, I noticed something kind of interesting, right? Uh, mile one everybody's super jazzed. I mean, you're kind of running around, and you're hearing the music, and you're waving at people, and everyone's saying hi to their family. And, and then, you know, a couple miles more go by, and the adrenaline wears off a little bit, and mile eight, people are like, oh, this is, this is interesting. <laughs> and the mile 13, you're like, wait, halfway? Really? That's... And then about three-quarters of the way through, you see people walking, and uh, or worse, <laughs> and and then uh, then as you kind of look around at at you know mile twenty something twenty three twenty four people all just have this expression um, make it stop make it stop <laughs> please please make it stop and I mean not me I was fine but um, <laughs> don't. Check for photographic evidence of that. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you what, I, I did not see anyone, I did not see anyone cross the finish line and go, well, I got time. I can do a little more. <laughs> Nobody, right? Everybody's ready for it to end, right? Because it's terrible. <laughs> now, when it, when, it comes to, when it comes to these these earthly kingdoms, what we need to understand is there should be a yearning for this kingdom to end and the next kingdom to begin. 
I mean, thinking about God's covenants should, should first of all, assure us of, our, of his love for us, but also realize how empty all the other kingdoms are. Our, our, our company, that, that, that kingdom that we cling to so closely, it, it's, it's temporary. And that's good because God's kingdom is much better. Whatever hobby it is, whatever, whatever thing it is about this world, say, I, I can't imagine existence apart from this, this idol or, or this little kingdom that I have. God in his kindness is letting you know, here, look, here's Christ's kingdom, and here's its worth, and there is a, a never-ending kingdom that is coming. I'm connected to it. I'm, I'm the fulfillment of it. It's a promise that was made to David, and, and now the good news to you and the gospel is that you can be a part of it as well, and there is there is nothing, there is nothing that is better than Christ's kingdom. There's nothing that is not worth giving up in order to participate in Christ's kingdom. Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 19. I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man, that's him, will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So wherever your kingdom is that, that you're tempted to cling to, not worth it, right? This kingdom's better. And it's, it's a good thing that our kingdoms are coming to an end. And God in his kindness at times reveals that to us, and that's good. How gracious of God to let us know about his kingdom. Here's the next thing we want to think about then. So God must keep his covenants. He made a covenant with David and Abraham and Moses. Christ is a fulfillment of, of that covenant. He's, he's, he's the promised seed of, of Abraham and of of David. And then the next thing we want to think about then is Christians and our participation in the Davidic covenant. Number one, as we think about this, the promises to Abraham are for all the nations, right? Sometimes when we, we look at the promises and Genesis made to Abraham, we make the same mistake that the, the Jews did at the time of Jesus and just beyond of, of thinking, okay, this is just for us, ethnic Israel, but, but it goes beyond that. Genesis chapter 17, my covenant is with you, God says to Abraham, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. So it's, it's, it's plural. No longer shall your name, your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. You say, okay, well, well, how? How do these promises to Abraham get to the nations? Well, number two, the promises of Abraham are brought to the nations through the son of David. There's some overlap here. That's okay. That's what we saw above. Christ fulfills God's promises. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, the promises, that's plural, were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So all the promises made to Abraham find their fulfillment in Christ. There's no promise that God made to Abraham that can't be found apart from Christ. 
That's the only way. Isaiah, you can turn to Isaiah 45. These promises made to Abraham are for more than just one people, just the nation of Israel. You and I and other nations, the Gentiles, get to participate in them. Here's what God says in Isaiah 45, verse 21. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Verse 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. See, you see that? God must keep his covenants. He's, he's sworn it. He made a covenant to Abraham. But even as he made this covenant with Abraham and David, it's not just for them and their, their physical offspring. It's for the nations. He swears it from my mouth. Verse 23, Isaiah 45, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance only in the Lord, only in Yahweh, it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. Verse 25, in the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Turn over to Isaiah 42. As you turn there, just think about this. God is going to save the nations on the basis of the promise that he made to Abraham. So think about all the all the terrible things in the world, right? We think about the, the horrific earthquake in Morocco. Over 2,000 people perished so far. We think about the wars, the war in Ukraine. There's said to be as many casualties there as there were during World War I, like over 500,000 injuries and deaths among just the soldiers. And, that, and that's just one place in the world, right? The world is a broken place in need of healing. I just, uh, just finished reading The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the Kings. This is my last Lord of the Rings reference for a while. I think, I think every pastor gets like a couple a year. So, But at the, at the end of the story, near the end of the story, The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, the king returns to claim his throne, King Aragorn. But he doesn't march into the city and, and demand that they recognize him as king. He doesn't go to the palace first. You know where he goes first, remember? He goes to the, the tents of healing where the, the wounded are. There's an old lady, a nurse, and she's talking about how will we know if the king returns. And she said, alas, if he would return would that there were kings in Gondor as there were once upon a time. They say, as, in, as they said in old lore, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so the rightful king could ever be known. So in other words, you have said that you would know the king because his hands are the hands of a healer. And soon, as, they, as Aragorn went to the houses of, of healing, soon the word had gone out from the house that the king indeed had come. And after war, he brought healing. And the news ran 
through the city. That brings us to Isaiah 42. Brothers and sisters, hear, hear God's words of, of healing this morning for, for you, your, your troubled soul, and, and for the nations. Verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it, walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am I'm Yahweh, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So how do you know the hands of, uh, 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 how do you know the, the true king, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer? How does he do this? Well, number three, the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ and are ours in him. Now, I know I'm doing a lot, of, a lot of points here, and so track with me as you can, but here's a couple things I want you to see as we think about how the, the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ and are ours in him. Letter A here, we are children of Abraham, by faith in Christ, right? So God has to keep his covenants. He made a covenant to David and Abraham. Christ is the fulfillment of that covenant, and, and we're connected to that covenant as we are connected to Christ. How do we see that? Well, we're children of Abraham by faith in Christ. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, it's kind of interesting. It says, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we are your bone and flesh. Now, they weren't literally his bone and flesh, but they were identifying themselves with him. How, how, how do we become the, the offspring of Abraham? Well, faith in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We become the, the children of Abraham by faith in Christ. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Why does God call you reborn? Because as you place your faith in Jesus Christ, 
or God, as he, as he regenerates you and allows you to place your faith in Christ, you become a son or daughter of Abraham. You get Christ's righteousness. Christ takes upon you your sin. 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we become sons and daughters of Abraham. You know, this week, we sang, He Will Hold Me Fast. Next week, we're singing, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father. We'll, we'll do all the lyrics next week, but, but it's true, right? Letter B, we are heirs to the promises made to the children of Abraham, right? And, and this is a, an, another concern I have about making the church and and Israel, two people, right? That there's separate blessings. I think it undermines this teaching here that we're, we're we're one in Christ and we're connected to the promises in Christ. Here's what Galatians three goes on to say, verse sixteen. Again, we talked about it earlier. The promises promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, and then Galatians three verse twenty eight. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you're all one in Christ. And if you're a Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promises may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That's you and me, those of us who are Gentiles. So, he goes on to say in, in Romans chapter 4 there, I've made you, he's quoting God, telling Abraham, I've made you the father not just of one nation, but of many nations. In hope, Paul says, he, he, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, does that mean God broke his promise to the people of Israel? No. He's, he's fulfilled his promises in, in, in far greater ways than they could have ever imagined, right? Imagine that I'm uh, talking, uh, imagine that you have children and you have some children that are your biological children. You say, okay, uh, I'm going to give you the house when I die, and I'm, or I'm going to give you the house someday. And, and, and by the way, I'm going to bring in other children into our home, and, and they're going to get the house as well, and, and, and the blessings. Okay, I believe that's going to happen. And then, and then you, you adopt more children in your family, and you give them not just the, the house, but you give them the entire neighborhood. Now, would you say you haven't fulfilled your, your promises to your original children? No. The blessings and the promises have become much more full. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, God says this, He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Do you see the beauty and the security that are yours if you are in Christ? What this means is that if you're connected to God through faith in Christ, you can't do anything but just stand back and worship God. Turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and look at David's response. 
And, and what I want you to see here is, is God made a covenant, or let's say God must keep his covenants. He made a covenant with David. Christ is a fulfillment of that covenant, and, and, and you and I are connected to that covenant by our faith in the, the son of David. That's, that's why over and over again, we, we see in the Gospels him being, Jesus being called the son of David, so, so we, we catch that connection. And, and so what I want you to see is that David's response here in the last half of chapter 7 must be our response as well. Notice what, what he says. First of all, as you look at kind of verses 18 through 22, we see, that, we see that we're small and God is great. Now, notice how many times he says, oh, Lord God, oh, Lord, I think it's like eight times. And, and, and as he talks about what God has done, we see this is all about God's grace this is a, what God has done, he says in verse 19, it was a small thing. And, and you not only know the small thing, but you've told me about what's, what's to come. And not only have you told me about what's to come, you've guaranteed it because of your greatness. There is, verse 22, none like you. There's no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And then, not only that, we see that our sal- David says, your, your salvation glorifies you. Who is like you, verse 23? Or, sorry, who is like your people of Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. So, so, as God saves his people, he is the one who's glorified. And therefore, therefore, both we and God love his covenant faithfulness. We rejoice in him. Your name, he says in verse 26, will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord, Yahweh of hosts, is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. You, O Lord, of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. And therefore, he says, I I found the courage to, to pray to you, to worship you. David says, because you've sworn this, because you've done something you didn't have to do, I have the, the, the courage to believe that I'm accepted by you. Last week I told you that you could, could hope in God's hesed, in his, his steadfast love. But, but now I, I hope you see the connection more deeply. You see, the promises that were made by God in eternity past Those promises are yours in Christ. The words that God spoke thousands of years ago in a garden that a man and a woman who were were crushed by sin heard, that promise that he made in Genesis 3.15 is yours in Christ. The the promises that God made 3,000 years ago to Abraham to make him a a blessing and to bring about salvation, those promises that God made, that covenant that God made that he must fulfill because of his steadfast love, that promise that he made to Abraham is yours in Christ. This promise that he made to a king 3,000 years ago is 
yours in Christ. God will keep his covenant because of his steadfast love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your love for us. We thank you that because of your Son, Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. And all the the, the blessings that you have promised to your people are are ours in him. We pray that we would be secure in your love. We pray that as we we feel that the security that is only ours because of your Son, Jesus, we would do what David does here and worship your great and glorious name. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.